Well, we, we certainly are more than conquerors in Christ. We are not to succumb to circumstances, situations in our life. We are all the Scripture says we are. Uh, we are not to succumb to the power of the flesh and sin in our lives. We are those who are to walk in victory. Anything less for the believer in Christ, we will all fail at times, but anything less for the believer in Christ is living below the normal Christian life, the normal standard of what it means to be a Christian. You may have feelings of um, anger or jealousy or hurt or pain, but those don't define who we are. Christ defines who we are. And Romans chapter 6, and beginning in verse 1, tells us the guts, the bolts, the, the, the washers of how it really, really works. In contrast to chapter 6 of the book of Romans is just about every discipleship course you'll ever take at almost any church. Uh, but the problem with any of those discipleship courses is you cannot disciple the flesh out of a person. You can't send him to enough revivals. You can't send him through enough processes where he learns a bunch of spiritual things to do to conquer the flesh. The flesh only succumbs to one particular element, and it's all in the Romans chapter 6. This is pay dirt for the believer to grow in Christ. Only those who know these things that Paul is going to write are able to grow. So look at it with me, if you will. Chapter 6, verse 1. He's playing off a question that was raised in his teaching in chapter 5 and verse 20. So look back at chapter 5 because this is where he gets his thoughts in chapter 6, verse 1. <laughs> chapter 5, verse 20 says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, the old King James says, where sin abounded, uh, it says that grace much more or abounded all the more. In the Greek, it's sin, sin abounded, grace superabounded. So however much sin is thrown at grace, grace just swallows it up like Pac-Man, if you will, of the old video games. It's just gone. Well, if that's the case, and it is the case, then what does it really matter how we live if grace is going to take care of all that? Why not just sin more and more so we can actually exasperate grace and produce more grace to take care of the more sin. As ridiculous as that seems as an argument, that's what the critics of Paul was, were saying. And that is still what the critics of grace are still saying. There are many preachers who would sit in this congregation tonight and hear what I'm going to teach you in grace and, and, and go away thinking, boy, that'll just cause people just to sin all the more. That's the argument. Paul handles the argument in chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? What conclusion should we come to? He means, are we to continue in sin? Now, when he says in sin, he's not talking about the things we do. That was handled in the first several chapters of the book of Romans when it talks about the blood washing away our sins, the things that we do. This is a deeper thing than just that, as bad as that is. This, is. this is flesh within us. Shall we continue allowing sin, 
the flesh to dominate us? Shall we be captive to, the, to, to flesh as a king so that when I'm tempted to be lustful or I'm tempted to be angry or I'm tempted to be vengeful, is that to dominate me? Am I to succumb to whatever feelings or emotions I have or whatever the flesh dictates? Some idiot out there did to me and made me mad. Notice he made me mad. We didn't choose to be mad. He made me mad. Shall I succumb to that anger and, and give vengeance back? As a believer in Christ, is that the way we're supposed to live? Shall we continue allowing sin to dominate us? That is the question at hand. This goes beyond the things that we do to who we are apart from Christ and dealing with that ugly thing within us that's flesh. Now just so I can be clear before we go on, flesh is anything, anything that moves and operates apart from God. There is good flesh and there is bad flesh. It is all bad. Flesh is any movement of mine. Flesh is feeling proud of myself for all my accomplishments. Flesh is thinking how important I am. That's just as evil as whatever evil sin you could imagine. Flesh is anything that promotes self. Flesh is a defense of self when I'm attacked. A need to answer all my critics when they pose their criticisms of me. The need to defend myself. It's all flesh. Everybody with me on this? So this flesh is good or bad. It's based in self. Doesn't it show up an awful lot? Isn't it a dominating theme in our lives? Wouldn't you like to be rid of it? Well, you will be once the rapture comes and our bodies are changed into that incorruptible body. Now, the body's not sinful, but flesh seems to dwell in it and use it. The eyes, the ears, the mouth, the body. So, that's the question at hand. Are we to continue allowing whatever vice is in me to dominate my life, taking me down all the time? And the answer is this. By no means, the Greek is emphatic, perish the thought. No way is the idea. How can we, and this is the posed question or the answer, how can we who are dead to sin live any longer with its dominating theme within me? Did everybody catch the big picture there and the huge answer. The answer to the flesh within the Christian is not discipleship. It's not praying more and preaching more and listening to and reading books and, and just doing all this stuff. It's the fact that we are dead in relation to it. Now think of that lamp right there, Miss Willadine so kindly washed. Nice clean lamp. Let's say that's flesh. That's sin. That's flesh. As long as I'm focused on that and it dictates my every move, I am in submission to the lamp. But if all of a sudden I understand that I am cut off from the lamp and the lamp has no more power or authority because, because I am, the lamp doesn't go anywhere. The lamp is still there. Flesh is always going to be there. Flesh, always, flesh has not died in you. I almost don't need to tell you that, do I? 
It's very much alive. Okay? I'll just come out and slap one of you, and you'll see it right there. So, it has not died. I have died in relation to it. This is where faith kicks in. This is where you reject everything in you that says, man, I'm alive to that sin. Just, man, I'm just alive to it. Everything in you is going to say, yes, I have the potential, or I, I, I want to, but the scripture says, you're dead to it. Now, there's a contradiction there, isn't there? I think I'm alive, but God says I'm dead. Faith is embracing the statement of God's reality and living as though I was dead to sin. All right, so let's go on and see how it plays out. Look at chapter 6 in verse 1. By no means, how can we who died to sin live in it? Do you not know? There it is. These are things you must know. This is not intellectual knowledge. This is the knowledge of intimacy where you're so fully convinced that this thing is true that it alters your stance toward the flesh. See, I can tell you I know something, but unless I wrap it around my teeth like a, a, a towel with a pit bull, and you can't jerk it out of my mouth, I don't know it yet. This is to be such an unalterable truth placed between your ears that becomes the way that you think. When sin crops up in your mind, your very first thought is not how I'm going to slap him, but I am dead to the desire, I am dead to that flesh that wants to slap him. Don't you know, see verse 3, don't you know, do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ or unto Jesus Christ were baptized, immersed in his death? Now, there are two different kinds of baptisms in the Bible. There's water baptism and there's spiritual baptism. And to be quite honest, the commentators and Bible scholars who look at these verses usually fall in one of those two camps. Um, either this is spiritual baptism and water baptism. I'm going to, for the sake of argument at this point, tell you that it is, I believe it is water baptism. Now, when we were water baptized, and let me tell you why, because the spiritual baptism of Christ mentioned in Corinthians is for the purpose of placing us in Christ. Now, the water baptism that goes through there doesn't, doesn't, you don't die with Christ when you're physically baptized. That's not what Paul's saying. But when we are baptized, what do we say? We say, buried with him in the likeness. We are pointing to a reality that already has occurred in that we died with Christ. That's what happened. Everything of your old life is gone when you came to Christ, it is gone. It is eliminated. All the sins of the past, the errors of the past, the hurts of the past, they are buried in the death with Christ. That's one great benefit of it, but there's more. Look at verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized unto Jesus, into Jesus Christ, that baptism points into his death. 
We were baptized therefore with him by baptism into death. There's your reality. When Jesus Christ died, you died with him. And in dying to him, you were separated from, among several things, the flesh and sin. So your victory on a daily basis is based on this eternal truth that just as surely as Jesus died, you died with him. And when sin knocks on the door, it is to be ignored based on the fact that you have no relation to that at all. You are cut off by separation. These are mysteries. But there is the declaration of how you grow as a believer and how you confront sin. You are dead to it. That is not you anymore. You're a new creature. In fact, not only the death... Look at chapter 6 and verse 4. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into... Notice all the past tenses. You were baptized. You were, you were, you were. Historically, it happened at the very point that Jesus died. You were baptized into death in order that... You ready? Just as Christ was raised from the dead, notice, by the glory of the Father. We too might now walk in this newness of life. We reckon ourselves dead indeed unto, God, unto sin and alive unto God. It all must be placed securely in your mind as true. Now, how did it happen? It happened the same way you got saved. It was all the operation of God. Before you were saved, you were in Adam, the old creation, the old order of things. When you got saved, God took your life out of the history of all that Adam did in the garden that you suffered for. God took you and placed you in Jesus Christ, in His Son. That's your reality. you now in Christ. All of the history of Christ has become your history at the point of death. Not before. Before, everything that Jesus did to you up to the place where he cried, it is finished, was vicarious suffering. It was suffering in your place for you, for your account, to pay for your sins, something you couldn't do. When he lived the perfect, sinless life, he did it to qualify himself to be the Lamb of God, the second Adam, to pay for our sins. As the blood poured out, the offering was made to God to reconcile us back to him, forgiving us of all of our sins. And when he cried, it is finished, you, at that point, entered into the Son in the mind of God and died alongside in Him. You have died to everything that was you before you came to Christ. That's the old Mike, the old Lance, the old John, 
the old Larry, the old us. This is out of the old order. I'm cut off from that. So now that I'm in Christ and Christ lives in me, there's a whole different mindset that must take place. That's why Romans tells us to be conformed in the thinking of your mind. Now the battle of sin is no longer by human effort to suppress sin, ignore it's there. We are dead to it. See how powerful the gospel is? See how complete redemption is? He just didn't like clean us up and forgive us and say, hey, you know, do the best you can. I'll come get you and we'll get out of this mess. We are more than conquerors in this life. Wherever you work, wherever you live, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, you are more than conquerors already what stops that conquering from taking place you don't believe once you believe it changes everything it isn't that sin won't crop its head up that you won't struggle but now your response is that mental image of I have died with Christ I am dead in relation to that Imagine working in a workplace with a horrible boss. This, some of you don't have to imagine. Um, you go to work every day and then it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. You, I mean, you just dread it. The job is hung over your head every day. It's torment. It's awful. You wake up in the middle of the night and you think about that person. It's just terrible. And all of a sudden, you leave that job or you retire or you're no longer there. Now imagine this. You get home that night and it's all over. And you get a phone call. And you listen to the voice on the, on, on the phone that says, we need you to come in three hours early the next morning. <laughs> you resist everything that you've got within you to tell them to take that job and, because you've already done that. You politely say, because that's the thing to do, you say, I no longer work for you. You have no authority over me. And they may go on all they want, but it means nothing. Uh, I was at Starbucks last week, a couple weeks ago, having a, a, some coffee and, just, and uh, just relaxing, just taking an afternoon, just writing a little bit in a book. And I got a phone call. And on the other end of the line, this is just a true story, I'm not making this up. On the other end of the line was a, a man who identified himself as a, uh, a, a man who worked for the United States Postal Service. And he said, uh, are you Mike Gaylor? I said, yes, I am. And he said, uh, well, we've done an audit of the finances at Lakeshore Post Office, and there is a discrepancy in your accounts for when you left, and we need you to come back down and talk to us about it. I mean, the blood ran out of my face. I began hyperventilating. I got up off my stool and I said, I've been retired three years. And then he said this. He said, I need you to come down and you need to bring your lawyer with you. Well, that gave it away. I said, Steve Callahan. And he just roared in laughter. <laughs> this was a guy I worked with. He did that kind of stuff all the time with people messing with you. And he was good at it. I mean, good at it. And I said, Steve, hook, line, and sinker, man, you got me. See, sin does that. It calls out to you. Why don't you get jealous? 
Why don't you get a little envious? Why don't you, why don't you get back at that person? And that voice has no authority with you any longer. Wouldn't you like to be free? Wouldn't you like to be free to love people and not, not have to fire back at them? You are, you are free. Did you know that? Did you know that? Notice it goes on. This is so simple. It's so beautiful. It's so powerful. It's so complete. When I think of all the stuff that I listened to for 20 years of my Christian life of how to grow in, in grace, it wasn't growing in grace. It was dying in law is what it was. You know, they told me all kind of stuff to do. You got it too, didn't you? And none of it worked. You know, the revivals were great, and then Monday morning about 8 o'clock, I just, ran, just wore out. You know, you got all fired up, ready to win the world for Jesus, and you just, the next morning you were at a biscuit place wanting to kill somebody. <laughs> you know? You suppressed it, you know, you smiled because that's what Christians do. They just smile and they're happy all the time. It's not, it's not the deal. The deal is we died with Christ to all that stuff. Let's go on to the verses. Notice we are buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ, just as real as, the, as Christ came up out of the grave, you have a newness of life in you. Count on that, believe that, walk in that, trust that, rest in it. Know that it's true. Know that it's true. You go to restaurants and eat food, and you don't know what's going on in the kitchen. You just eat it, right? You don't know. Don't ever make your waitress mad because you don't know what's going on back here in the kitchen. You do all things all the time without. I mean, you, you, you go to the doctor. He gives you pills. You go home and take the pills. How do you know what's in the pills? It might be cyanide. Drop dead. People call you on the phone and say, what's your social security? You just rattle it off. We'll do that. We trust everything, everywhere, all the time. And God clearly says, we have a newness of life. Do you know that you have that? Live like you do. Live like you do. Believe that with all faith in Christ. Faith in what this is saying alters everything and changes you. Transforming you to be more than a conqueror in Christ. You find yourself having victory over sin that you never imagined. Able to grow. And this is progressive. This takes time. Victory is for those who believe, but don't we go three steps forward and two steps back and three steps forward and two steps... We forget these things and then we remember these things. And then we fail in sin and there's this path. But you find years from now, people look at you and you say, you know, I, I just see Christ in you and you haven't got a clue what they're talking about. See? Because God did it. But he did it according to your knowledge of these things. We just don't grow because we're Christians. You grow because you know the mechanics of your death with Christ and resurrection with Christ and that's what you're relying on. Note it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you're facing in life. It doesn't matter. We, there's, no, no, there's no, nothing in there. We're more than conquer except us. 